start this i gotta i gotta think hold on let me bring it up okay <laughs> welcome <laughs> to pen pen pals podcast uh with your host alex and ben and we have two fabulous guests today that i am very excited for both of them to come back on first we have our first guest return for a repeat performance by popular demand i'm the populace uh we have cassie Hey, good to be back. Thanks for having me, Alex and Ben. We're so excited. And then also, uh, no offense, Cassie, but my favorite guest, uh, we also <laughs> have back Tanya. Hi. How is everybody? Oh, good. super great. We were just talking about before we started recording the recent election results and everyone is super psyched about at least not having an asshole in the office. Well, less of an asshole. <laughs> at least now we'll have a dependable asshole. That there we, you we, go. You can, you know what he's going to do. <laughs> it's true. And now we get Kamala. Yeah. Well, who will probably be the first female president. I mean, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. We can only hope. Wouldn't be my choice, but I'm happy for the symbolism. <laughs> Cassie, you just moved up to New York, is that correct? That's true. I just moved up to New York um, at the end of August, beginning of September. So I've been here a couple months now. So when I was last on the podcast, I was based in Atlanta, took a job in New York. So now I'm here reporting from Manhattan. Um, and my tiny studio. Wow, and it's been cool. great so far. And uh, Ben is visiting you right now? Yeah, so I came up the Tuesday before last. So it's good. And it's been nice to have been here. Um, and we like have been doing cool stuff around New York City. We went up to Storm King um, last week, which is this super cool outdoor art museum. It's like this 500 acre expanse and they have these like giant art installations and stuff outside everywhere. It's super cool. If you ever come to New York, go to Storm King. I don't, I don't know about that. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, like, if you were, like, it's a good escape from New York. I'm not a fool, Bliskin. Call me Snake. If That's you're true. in New York, but if you're just visiting, it's kind of out of the way. That's true. I have also been, like, taking basically every excuse that I can to get out of the city. And so my friends have been telling me that maybe I don't like living in New York City as much as I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Good thing to find out early, I suppose. Yeah, how have you been, Alex? How's life been? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, uh, you know, crippling capitalist nightmare, but I'm fine. You know, people around me are sinking further into debt and depression, but I'm okay. So that's <laughs> fine, right? Uh, thanks for asking. That's very nice of you. Um, and Tanya, I wanted to ask, since our last podcast i know you've done a lot of work on your island that you oh my god it's going pretty well i was running a very theme specific stephen king island which i was very proud of but i also in a need to control something and have a creative outlet during the election week decided to completely demolish my island and start from scratch I don't care that I have a couple hundred hours on it. Like, who ma- it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, so now it's just pretty. There's no theme. <laughs> the theme is pretty. That's the most hardcore Zen garden exercise I've ever heard of. Hundreds of hours. Just wipe it. It's fine. It's whatever. I don't care. I need a creative outlet and I need to feel like I control something right now. <laughs> I know that you uh, had started your own podcast endeavor with some professional friends of yours. And I was wondering if that was making any progress or do you have a name yet? I have a bunch of very talented 
artist friends um, who all individually would lament to me that they wish they had time and energy for a podcast. And I was like, okay, well, let's just have a network. And that way it like takes the burden off of one creative to constantly put out content. And so we are the Witches Brew Podcasting Network. I'm running three podcasts. One is called Fem Pop, where we tackle uh, feminist issues in pop culture. Um, some of the upcoming episodes are 90s pop princesses um, and how they taught girls to fight. <laughs> you know, good for her horror movies where we like go through horror movies and we're like, yes, queen, kill him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, you know, I've already asked you and you've graciously agreed we're probably going to do like a, a female gamer video game and tabletop episode. Uh, I've also got a witch book club um, that I did the first episode for the other day, where we're just going to read things to help you on your path if you are a witch uh, and give our little reviews. And then also I've got like a little mini one called songs we shouldn't have listened to. And <laughs> it's songs <laughs> that we shouldn't have listened to when we were young, but we did anyway. And Alex helped me record the first episode and it was semi-charmed life by third eye blind because that is a banger, but we were 10 years old when it came out and it's all about doing crystal meth and having <laughs> lots of sex. Sex and drugs, baby. That's all rock and roll. My friends are doing other ones. Melinda is, uh, hers is who cares. And it basically is someone gives her a topic and she researches it intensely. And then there's a telenovela watch through with Melinda and Yvette. And then I'm also guesting on a Buffy the Vampire Slayer watch through. Oh, man. So, yeah, so we're <laughs> yeah, we're really ambitious and that's fine. But this is why we had a network, because we had too many ideas. One of them will stick. Ah, it's brilliant. I think it's gonna work out <laughs> lovely. Ben, uh, do we have a pen pen pals podcast pod update for this Ooh, week? I did just listen through um it's the first season of CBC, which is the Canadian BBC, or sort of their NPR. They have this show, Escaping Nixium. Oh, yeah, the Colts. Yeah, I think it's Uncover, Ooh. true crime-ish thing each time. But it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I've seen some of the vow. So anyway, it's, uh, it's like weird business cult. Ben has been on a really big cult kick. <laughs> I did finally find the cult for me, which is this like woman in LA called Unicol. And so it's Unicol's Unicult, kind of unicorn themed. As far as I can tell, there's no like evil cult thing. She's just like a performance artist that like calls herself a cult leader, and, like encourages her fans to be like her cult followers. Maybe that's just how they all start. Yeah, so Ben has informed me that he might be moving to LA yeah, to join Unicorn instead of everything. coming to New York. So and that'll <laughs> be know. that'll be my new podcast. No more pen pen pals. I'll be sad, but I understand. Sorry, don't know. <laughs> Alex knows that my like greatest dream in life is to be a cult leader. So don't don't get too attached to that cult. Yeah, you, I might have a better one yeah. for you. <laughs> He's on the market, so yeah. he he definitely listens yeah. to her cult pitch. I'll start documenting your cult. Just let me know like three months before it takes like the dark shift, <laughs> so that I can be there through that process. You know, that's all I ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't worry. Uh, Alex is part of it. He just 
doesn't admit it. What? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I would never be in a cult. Yeah, that's what they all say. Yeah, secrecy is part of it. <laughs> Who knows how many followers she has? It's true. <laughs> uh, and how's the uh, the Pen Pen Pals Pod P Pod update? I've been super excited. Just solid progress. Uh, hopefully, get some peas out of them in the next couple of weeks. Do you have to watch for the frost? you like check the weather and like put blankets over your crops so far the closest we've gotten is 35 and i just thought not worth the effort (laughs) you're just uh, trying to teach them resilience that's all you're like i'm not gonna be here for you every day please like something (laughs) may happen and you're gonna have to learn to stand on your own stalks yeah, well, when they were still young and developing, you know, you gave them that, like, scaffolding and protection they needed when they were still vulnerable. But they're old enough now, you know, that they can start, like, learning a little bit how to uh, weather the uh, frost, I guess. Tanya, that was also great cult leader logic. I'm just trying to teach them resilience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess... Starting a cult is like starting a garden because at first you love bomb them, right? And then you slowly make them do everything you want. Well, and then also while you're love bombing them, you're also teaching them dependence. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to give away too many of my secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Last time on The Vision of Ava Flone, Misato listened to Dead Kaji's message on repeat, and Ritsuko's grandma called to say that the cat died. Asuka suffered a complete performance shutdown, leaving Rei and Unit OO to deal with the penultimate angel through ingenuity and self-sacrifice. Gendo had a brand new Rei model activated, and Ritsuko dismantled the remaining Rei bodies, putting a certain finality on future dangers. Will the ultimate angel bring humanity's last day? Can Shinji's feelings towards his peers become any more confused? Let's find out. Episode 24, The Last Cometh. Kawaru Nagisa, the fifth child, comes to Nerve to pilot Unit O2 in Asuka's place. He's friendly to Shinji, but he's shrouded in mystery. Because why would anyone be friendly to Shinji? (laughs) He gives off, don't talk to me vibes. <laughs> I'm sorry the audience can't see uh, we have a dancing dog uh, for <laughs> this opening music not yeah. just a singer Blake decided that he wanted to hang out <laughs> well maybe we can introduce Blake later <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? Yeah, you do, Blake. Real heavy. Uh, obviously, there are no light episodes left. Uh, we start out with this visit back to Asuka's past. We spent some time with her uh, with a episode that was mostly about her upbringing, her trauma, and then we get this last little fuck you moment when we realize that the day Asuka knew that she was going to be an Ava pilot is the day that her mother killed herself. Yeah, dark stuff, man. There's a lot of death and suicidality in this episode in particular. I, I think the quote from um, the angel from Kaoru later actually about like death being the ultimate 
kind of like free choice that you have is really an interesting way to end it since we're starting with Asuka's mom like committing suicide. It kind of Mm -hmm. is an interesting full circle and a different way to think about suicidality that I don't know, I have mixed feelings about. Yeah. Yeah. Unit 02, the like soul or whatever in that um, Ava, is that her mom? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's kind of weird timing. Yes. <laughs> her mom may have hung herself early, early that day. And it was her mom hanging herself that like prompted the getting the pilot spot. Oh. oh, so you're saying like someone knew she was in the apartment dead. And so they're like, okay, well, uh, Soul's in there. So it's Asuka. She's the pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were just waiting for someone to off themselves. And be like, who's... Who's down a mom? Make them a pilot. (laughs) This whole pilot picking procedure gets darker and darker. They need kids who are unattached slash disenchanted with their parents in order to really convince them to give up everything and be pilots. Because it's a cult. (laughs) Yeah, it is like a cult. Maybe it's not like, okay, so diegetically, whatever, the Ava needs a soul in it, a human soul to activate and... What we've seen thus far is the mother or the clone or whatever. That's the soul that goes into the Ava. But allegorically, it's about having uh, children that are off kilter emotionally. People who are susceptible to these cult-like initiation rituals. Wow. Um, So start with the flashback and then Shinji reveals to Asuka that Kaji is dead. We jump to Asuka in this bathroom it's not their bathroom the roof is like completely destroyed um and later on in the episode Shinji will be like where is Asuka so I want to ask you guys that question I was wondering if maybe it's the class reps bathroom oh could be that was where she went when she ran away before and I guess now it seems like all the the sub characters have moved on now that we have these huge craters in in Tokyo 3 it's entirely possible I like the idea that it's not Hikari's uh, bathroom because, you know, when she went to stay with Hikari, that was kind of her last rung, like her last person she could reach out to. And now this is the true rock bottom for Asuka. She doesn't have anyone. She goes and sits in a bath by herself. Like that's her only solace, I guess. It would also make sense to me if it was like a new place since it took them a week to find her. So if it was a place that she had run away to before, theoretically, Mm. they would have found her more quickly. Mm. Like, wouldn't it make sense to check the places she ran away to before first? Who is it that's finding her? I don't know that. I guess it's not someone from Nerve because there's that dialogue between Masato and the glasses tech. Masato remarks like, it's probably on purpose that they took this long to find her just messing with us. So I assume it's a different organization that yeah. doesn't like Nerve. Yeah, she, ugh. Shinji tells her Kaji's dead and it just, ah, sorry. It's just such a, a quick moment, but that's her last straw too, right? No one had told her. And so there was this possibility that he was out there, just not in contact with her. And now that's it. That's all her hopes and dreams, her one role model, her one object of affection. Like, that's it. Asuka's got nothing left. Better go sit in a bathtub in a ruin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's very 90s grunge music video. Ooh. Ooh. I want to see like an Evangelion like remake where they're all wearing like striped shirts and like <laughs> making cigarettes and stuff. But. Oh yeah. 
uh, listening to early Pearl Jam. Yeah. There's lots of flannel. <laughs> yes. Flannel. The so plug flannel. suits can just be flannel. <laughs> I'm here for it. So we get to Masato kind of wondering about the fifth children because we, we learned that Seal is sending, or I guess they found a fifth children to replace Asuka as the pilot of O2. And it's this it's just this other kid, right? Who's, I don't know, he's skinny, he has gray hair, he has red eyes, just like Ray. And he loves hanging out by lakesides, I guess. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about his introduction is that he has that, like, David Bowie Goblin King hair from Labyrinth. Forget about the baby. And it's like a really great look. It adds to this whole like kind of ethereal mystique that he has, you know, very like Pan-esque. Pretty good. Uh, and it makes me want him to steal a baby, but there are none. So I guess he could have like stolen Pen-Pen. That, yeah. <laughs> that would have been the equivalent. And that's like Shinji's motivation to go down there. We have to save Pen-Pen. Yeah. And so I guess they say the you know, normally they get this report from the Marduk Institute about the new pilot. Um, and this time it's like classified but we know that the Marduk Institute mm-hmm. is a sham already and then we essentially have been told that like all of the possible pilot candidates were like going to Shinji's school um, early red flags there mm-hmm. okay so again you guys know last time when I was on like I hadn't watched anything I love it I didn't watch any of the episodes between this one and the one that I watched <laughs> I did not know that this was a new character but I was just like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> He's going to kill everyone. Why Why are we doing this? Like, immediately. <laughs> it's the Goblin King hair. That's how he knows so much people. <laughs> well, and it's also the fact that he kept his hands in his pockets 90% of the time. Like, if a new character shows up and their hands are in their pockets 90% of the time, and they're just like, I'm cool, then you're like, no, stop it. What do you have in those pockets? What are you hiding? What's in there? Uh, that lake that they meet at, Brian described it as the Lake of Ruin, and it's specifically one of the crater sites of one of the angel destructions, but this one has like an angel statue, a broken angel statue in the middle, and eventually that's what he just like hangs out on. And this is Shinji's first visit to it, and so on his first visit, he meets Kawaru. The first time we notice him, he's humming Ode to Joy, which will be, I guess, his theme song for the whole thing. Pretty sweet. Okay, so I don't want to alarm anyone, but Kawaru Nagisa is our next angel attack. Kawaru is also known as Tabris, which in mythology is an angel of occultism. And Tabris is the angel of free will, alternatives, and the sixth hour, which I guess is like the denomination point between late and early. So the fact that Kawaru represents a choice and... Uh, we have all these suicidal tendencies or suicidal ideation in this episode. He he symbolizes this choice between life and death. Uh, and that, to him, at least, seems to be the most important choice someone can ever make, how or why they will die. Nagisa, the, the surname, translates to waterside or shore, which works. Um, wait, hold on real quick. Are you guys getting weird audio from me? No. No? Okay, hold on one second. I'm right. going to make it weird if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you getting weird audio? No. Well, hold on. 
suddenly you're just like a morning show DJ with all these like weird sound effects. Along with the last two angels, Ariel, the one that infiltrated Asuka's mind, and Armasael, who infiltrated Ray, and Ray took Armasael with her. Uh, Tabris forms kind of the modern, stereotypical interpretation of an angel visitation, with Ariel being the wings, uh, Armasael being the halo, and Tabris being the immaculate, almost genderless human form, um, especially interpretations of an archangel visitation. He can project an AT field that's supposed to be the strongest yet observed, and he has the ability to sync with any Ava, it seems like, or at least any Ava he has access to that doesn't have a pilot inside of it, and control it remotely. He's heavily implied that he's under SEAL's supervision and that the same techniques used to create Rei are what created Kawaru. Like he was raised in a room and there may even be backups of him somewhere, but uh, he incorporates the soul of Adam, whereas we find out in this episode, uh, or at least it's heavily implied that Ray's body incorporates the soul of Lilith, so they're not quite regular humans. And his existence seems to be a result of the South Pole contact experiment, or the second impact, because his birth date is the same day as the second impact, I think August 15th, uh, year 2000. He meets Shinji at this lake, and they have a conversation. <laughs> is that what they have? Yeah! Is it a conversation? <laughs> We move on to uh, Masato talking to the glasses tech again, and they ride down in that car escalator. One assumes that this is a safe place for them to talk. They've been meeting in all of these out of the way locations, but uh, there's this line where he leans into Masato and whispers like, I know where Ritsuko is. I think that's the line. I feel like there's no reason for him to whisper. Like the other stuff they're talking about they would not want anyone to hear. It's called dramatic effect, Alex. Yeah. Well, it may be, but I thought it was kind of foreshadowing. We've kind of been building up. I think Glasses Tech has romantic feelings for Masato. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. As someone who has only seen one other episode of this, absolutely. I was like, are they together? Is that what's happening? She even says, like, when they're on the bridge or something, like, She's like, I keep asking you to do these things. And he's like, it's fine. <laughs> he keeps bragging about like all these legal things he keeps doing for her. Yeah, kind of a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, are you though? You're just like, <laughs> okay, glasses tech. Calm down a bit. Maybe gifts are his love language, you know, or like acts of service. Mm-hmm. Gifts of illegal information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a really specific love language. <laughs> I mean, it's worked with Misato in the past. That's, That's fair. true. He he studied under uh, Ryoji Kaji. It was like, what did you do to get her into it? And he said, secret information. <laughs> Girls love secret information. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We have two women on the podcast. Is this true? Do girls We can't love- tell you. It's a oh. secret. <laughs> it's a secret. Come on. I'll never crack this code. <laughs> so they have a sync test and Kawaru just, at will can raise and lower his synchronization ratio with uh, unit O2, which kind of destroys what Nerve knows about sync rates and the Avas. I love what Misato says. She says, we can theorize and rationalize this later. First, we need to accept the facts in front of us and then we can think about them. I'm like, wow, what a great way to do science. Science rules. 
Yeah, I really like it, actually. It's very, like, DBT-esque. It's, like, radical acceptance of, like, this information doesn't make sense to me and I don't want it to be true, but it is what it is. And if I'm going to do anything about it, I first have to accept that this is indeed the way my situation in life is right now. I think, like, the techs were doing their job, though. They were, like, trying to rule it out being some, like, glitch in the testing system or something like that. Yes. That's important, too. Just for my own edification, what is DBT? Oh, DBT, it's like dialectical behavior therapy. It's like a specific kind of therapy. It's like my favorite kind of therapy, personally. It takes what is effective about all of these different science-supported therapies and combines them into one. But the big premise that makes it different is that life is all about dialectics. So that's like this philosophical idea that two opposite and competing ideas can both be true at the same time. Something Mm -hmm. can be happening and it can feel not fair, right? Or I can feel both angry towards someone and I can still care about them at the same time. So these two ideas that seem contradictory can both be true at the same time is kind of like a big part of the underlying structure of this therapy. I love it. And is the goal to synthesize those two like friction mm-hmm. forces into a new understanding of things. Yes, exactly. <sighs> Marxism works. <laughs> You're a pro. You're a natural DBT therapist, Alex. <laughs> well, my next career choice. Cassie approved. Yeah, that's going to carry a lot of weight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go to school or get a license or nothing. Just get Cassie's approval. Yeah. Don't even include my last name, though, you know? Just like, first name only, like And then if people are like, who? You're like, oh, you don't know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you're not qualified, so I'm going to get moving. It's some more good uh, cult cult, logic. logic. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, oh, you're questioning this thing. Clearly, it's not right for you. Like, only the person ones who don't question me (laughs) can, like, move on to the next level. And if you don't understand it, it's because you're dumb. It's not because I'm wrong and not making sense. But if you give me $500, I can give you a class that will teach you (laughs) so that you can maybe one day understand. (laughs) I think you're slowly or quickly converting Ben to your cult already over the course of this. This was, this was actually just a really long con. Like, I'm, I'm not even here to guest. I'm just here to convert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex and I, like, con. think we started this podcast. Uh, <laughs> no. We just seeded no. it and Alex, like... Yeah. Tanya incepted the idea into yeah. our dreams. It was actually Blake's idea. <gasps> Blake the mastermind, our spirit yeah. animal. Well, Blake is the pen pen of this podcast. <laughs> he absolutely is. <laughs> uh, as much as I want this to be the the cult hour, let's see where we were. Okay. Kawaru does a sync test, confuses everyone. And then after the sync test, Shinji uh, waits around to have a conversation with him and is very embarrassed when Kawaru correctly guesses hey were you waiting around for me it's like no i mean like i don't really have anything to do so i just like sitting in dark hallways <laughs> he does have his headphones so i he's got something to do listen to those two songs over and over that 90s grunge music and his yeah. motivational tapes See, if he was just smoking <laughs> a cigarette then he could like play it off yeah then he would be loitering and it would be cool as fuck but right now he's just <laughs> 
He's just a little creepy. Yeah. yeah. And Kawaru asks, like, what are you, what are you going to do? And Shinji says, well, there's really nothing for us to do but take a shower and go home. And Kawaru says, so we're going to take a shower together? And I guess that's a pretty common experience for a lot of young people to do a communal shower for the first time and be like, oh, I don't really know how I feel about this. Is this sexual? Is this not sexual? And definitely, I mean, more normal in Japan. So would Shinji's confusion or reticence be or embarrassment just be out of the ordinary because it's a cultural norm obviously and yet he is yeah he's showing something well yeah and i think there's I, I was telling cassie i know there was like some complaint about the netflix translation and this might be kind of like our last guest was saying there was kind of this maybe longer standing old translation that might have mistranslated some things or whatever but i think there's some debate about you know whether this is this little gay romantic tension thing that i think the netflix dialed back some of the gay undertones oh really because again as someone who has not seen hardly any of it i was like oh they're gonna hook up like immediately (laughs) (laughs) yeah shinji's just embarrassed constantly around them and i also think it's the way the other one phrased it too i don't remember how he like phrased it but he's like i don't know and again that may be a translation thing but i was like that phrasing's interesting i don't know because he was when they were going to the shower he was like i'll go with you Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like there were less sexual ways of saying it the way yeah but i mean then they're like in the shower and then he reaches over and grabs shinji's hand you know and i feel Mm -hmm. like in communal showering normally you don't touch the other people there i mean unless like you know something's going on it gets more and more explicit as it goes on right yeah yeah and it's like okay we gotta go home to bed now and it's like together like or we gotta sleep (laughs) now sleep together (laughs) yeah and then they do sleep together yeah and yeah we don't know if there's anything sexual that happens but it is an intimate uh uh, encounter right like even shinji says uh when they're going to bed like why am i so open with him i'm like willing to talk about my father and my feelings and because of the setting you're in, because you're new friends and nobody's around and it feels like, you know, it's just the two of you with very little judgment from the outside world. So like, of course, you're going to feel more at ease to talk about these things. Yeah. And maybe you have a crush on him, you know, and you like divulge things to your crush. I also kind of thought, again, because this person's thrown up a lot of red flags. I also thought that it was just this like, sort of magnetism that they had. And I mean, now that we know that they're an angel, that completely makes sense to me, where it's just like, this being has this like unexplainable magnetism that just makes you want them to like you and makes you want them, like you want to open up to them. Yeah, but we only see Shinji really do that, right? Like none of the other characters. We don't really see anybody really interact with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's like Ray, but Ray never responds to anything. Because I think anything. Ray knows what's going on too. Yes. She, she is constantly just like, you look shady. <laughs> you look like me, shady as fuck. You know, it is kind of interesting, though, that you use this word like magnetism, because I do very much get that sense, uh, just kind of in this episode in particular, and kind of like in previous episodes, 
these angels do just seem to have this really strong desire and want to like connect and like merge with like other beings. And maybe it's part of like the way their life form is, is that they are less like distinct individualistic kind of creatures and beings and more kind of a network almost is what it feels like, um, where they like always talk about like merging or like even with the weird stuff with that one episode with like the angel taking over like the Eva and like Ray and it's like, oh, merge with me you know Mm -hmm. and then Kawaru talks to Shinji about like oh you're so alone all the time like human beings are so lonely and maybe it's because angels do just have this connectedness with other angels in a way that human beings do not and maybe that's part of this like magnetism is that the desire to connect is so apparent and different from like how humans are. I'm also very pessimistic in the fact that like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, he singled Shinji out because she- Shinji is the weakest emotionally. Mm. Oh. Especially because like the, the episode that I watched was the one where like Shinji lost his mind because uh, he was like stuck in his Ava for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, 16 hours okay whatever <laughs> calm down I don't know in the episode it was only like a couple minutes you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there for 16 hours so I don't know what he was doing uh, but yeah the pessimist in me who was automatically throwing up red flags from this being was just like oh well Shinji's like the weakest emotionally so if you're if you need someone on the inside to either empathize with you or uh, have some kind of connection with you then that's the person you go for. Because I, I anticipated a battle between the two of them. I just thought that like the being was kind of picking on Shinji so that if he was going to be the one to kill them, that Shinji would hesitate and he would have the tactical advantage. See, that's so interesting to me. Because oh. this whole like angel, like, I don't know. I like Kawaru. Like even still, like, and I don't know. I'm kind of pro angel, guys. Like I kind of like, <laughs> know, like maybe the angels should live instead of the humans. I don't know. They seem they, they seem pretty cool. They don't even want to live. You know, you gotta want to live. Yeah, but they're so like they've got this like Zen Buddhist monk vibe going on. You know, so like impermanent, like accepting and non judgmental, and they just want to like connect and talk about everything is interconnected like I don't know guys I'm like kind of into it like obviously I would have been very susceptible to <laughs> like here let me give you all of our secrets have a crush on <laughs> yeah. because you're imagining him as David Bowie it's because true. of your Freudian associations from watching <laughs> Labyrinth and uh it's yeah. true. I did have a lot of, you know, confused feelings when I watched Labyrinth as a child, you know, towards David Bowie. And I knew he was the bad guy, but, you know, I still had confused feelings about it. So it's something about the hair, maybe. Just let me rule you. And you can have everything that you want. And the the package, those tights. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> I do like the metaphor, the kind of like alien contact and like human connection metaphor, right? Quaru's mm-hmm. having this like conversation that like on one level is about like humans not wanting to like connect with the angels, right? Mm-hmm. That they're so defensive and standoffish. And then that also just Shinji and like every one of his relationships. And then, you know, and possibly there's this kind of sexual undertone to it as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, like, my thought is, like, with him kind of singling out Shinji, like, Shinji is very sensitive emotionally, for sure. And 
I think that there is this idea in psychology too of like sensitivity to your environment and that there are certain people who just like biologically are going to be more sensitive to their environment Mm. in an environment where they receive a lot of support from their parents early on and like have access to a lot of resources like they can become these truly like empathetic like kinder more empathic people than average but then those same people when they're exposed to a lot Mm -hmm. of trauma or like their parents die at really young ages and they have a lot of hardship, they're also much more likely to have like depression. They right? just become Oscars and, so, and they're e- awful. Yeah, but like maybe like the angel is picking up on this like real trait of like sensitivity in Shinji. And so like we've seen a lot of the like kind of darker side of that in him, right? Where he clearly has some very long-term struggles with like depression throughout this whole series, you know? And the flip side of that is is that perhaps he also has an ability to like feel things more deeply than other people do. And maybe the angel can sense that sensitivity trait and that's real. So Shinji has this sort of dialectical existence where he has these, he's very open emotionally, but he has been hurt really bad in the past. And so he has these two conflicting drives, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to collapse. Yes. <laughs> And how will he resolve this? How will he resolve this conflict? By crying. By crying? That's okay. Release is good, you know? It's okay. But (laughs) just cry about it. Just cry it out, man. Just like, yeah. (laughs) That's cool too. Or by murdering your new friend. Maybe that'll help everything. That wasn't murder. It was assisted suicide. In the shower scene, I'm watching it, or I'm listening to it in English and have subtitles on as well and the dialogue said or the the audio said you're worthy of my grace but in the subtitles it said you're worthy of my affection and so if it's grace then he's like transmitted to Shinji almost like hey I'm an angel do you get it I'm using these terms associated with religion like (laughs) grace But from the other translation, it just, it's more explicitly human and sexual. Like it's, I don't know, it's very, Mm -hmm. just those little differences make such a, such a big uh, And I I think that was the one that fans were mad about with the Netflix translation, that they thought it was like Netflix shying away from the homosexual undertones or like maybe not even undertones, but just like tones at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so the Japanese word is koi and the like closest English translation is love. And there's another love that's I, AI. And so it's like looking up what the difference between them is. And actually the I love is more like parent, it's like love, love, but it's also parent child love. And like God's love is usually translated as I. So they did very explicitly use this like love that's more like romantic, sexual. No, either way, I hate that line. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. As a female who's been hit on by just awful guys, he said that line and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) You're worthy of my love. Well, thanks. Thank you. Pickup artist. Like, Thanks for negging me and giving me a backhanded compliment about how I'm so worthy to be in your presence. But you know, vulnerable Shinji, very uh, susceptible to- I know. He's like, oh, do you need a place to stay? Come sleep at my place. Well, actually he went to his place. 
he's like, oh, wait, Kawaru, can I, like, come to your house, you know, and come stay with you? Where they, like, slept under blankets, oddly. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, they only covered their, like, midsection, their feet are out. Like, if you're under the blanket, your feet have to be under the blanket, you know? Like, what's the point? Yeah, they're... Their blanket went from their knees to, like, their mid-stomach. And I was like, what are you doing? Do you not know how to blanket? (laughs) Maybe it was, like, hot. It's, like, summertime, you know? And so they have the blanket on, you know, just, like, to protect you from the monsters under the bed or whatever, you know? (laughs) Don't you, Alex, don't you scoff at monsters under the bed when we've got angels and these like robotic things that kids sure. are piloting like in yeah. this entire no they don't even have beds like Kawaru <laughs> was on a futon and like Shinji's Shinji on was the just floor. Like, on the floor yeah that's true Shinji's on the floor closer to the monsters under the bed it's true okay well point for Tanya because the angels do manifest wherever the fuck they seem to feel like it so uh, out in space, under the floorboards, seems like equal yeah. possibilities. Yeah. We've, we've had wall monsters before. Wall monsters. Anyway. Right. <laughs> so the we get a little SEAL Council meeting, and it they have decided to move against Gendo, which is typical of capitalists in a point of crisis when they think the fascists are going too far. They'll be like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't be in charge. Oh, it's too late now? Good, great, wonderful. And then we see that Gendo has the embryonic atom like grafted into his right hand. Did not remember that at all from the first viewing. I thought it was the uh, Necronomicon from Evil Dead. Latu, Murata. It's just an eyeball in his palm. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's bring some zombies into this. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't remembered that and I couldn't immediately identify it as the Adam embryo. I was kinda like, Oh, is this something from when he like burned his hand and like the Ava like grew into him or something like that? Mm. But from looking online I think yeah, it's it's Adam. I see it was kind of interesting. There's a couple of animes like Vampire Hunter D has like the hand face <sighs> thing. And then there's oh, this yeah newer show parasite the maxim that also has like this like alien embedded in a hand and i wonder where that trope came from if there's kind of there's some myth about it or something like that or if it's just like these animes influencing each other well there's that old line about idle hands being the devil's plaything. maybe it's this deep ingrained psychological idea of like if you don't give your hands something to do, they'll find something to do, like regardless of your own uh, agency. Do you have empty hands? Well, don't worry. (laughs) A demon can be injected into them. Call now at 1-800-DEMON-HANDS. Love it. That's our plug. That's our sponsor for today, 1-800-DEMON-HANDS. Ray has this little scene where she wonders why Kawaru seems familiar, but she knows. She knows deep down inside uh, and Masato tells Pen Pen, has a heart to heart with Pen Pen, and tells Pen Pen that she's going to send Pen Pen to live with Hikari Haraki, the class rep, uh, to keep Pen Pen safe. And Pen Pen has this heartbreaking sound of protest like, but why? Mm-hmm. Ah! 
Yeah, yeah it's really Blake sad. every time I leave. So mentally enhanced penguins are kind of like uh, regular dogs. <laughs> there you go. So Kawaru and Shinji share a room. Uh, they say, and I had put down Kawaru says the sweetest things, but maybe he's psychologically manipulating him. Because he does say, I thought he was being emphatic, but I guess it could be either way. Maybe he's being manipulative because he says, uh, maybe I was born just to meet you, which does sound like a pickup artist slide. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like also it's just... like literally true. Like he was like created for this purpose, right? Yeah. So it's dialectical. Two things are true at the same <laughs> time. It's true. I'm so into it. Yeah, I thought he was being sweet too. But now, like, I was just like, oh, man, I can't believe it didn't even occur to me that he might have been emotionally manipulating Shinji. <laughs> like, I was like, Whew, I'm vulnerable if I ever end up in a situation with an angel, you know? <laughs> I love that my cynicism has slowly won everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cult. It's true. So, so then we see Kawaru back on that same statue. He is seeing things which Misato can't see. Kind of makes you wonder what he was doing on that statue when Shinji came across him. Oh. Uh, but he's having this like seal council meeting. Um, now the water level is lower and we can see kind of more than just that angel wing, but we see that it's like this headless angel figure with a female body. They really were laying out these breadcrumbs, you know, the whole episode. They were very overt with like, hey, guys, he's an angel, <laughs> you know? He goes back to the angel statue a lot. He talks about you humans a lot. Like, it is pretty clear yeah i don't know if he ever says you humans he's just like humankind blah blah blah, blah. which is humankind. weird humans don't talk like that you know <laughs> i don't know i've heard alex talk like that <laughs> it should have been so much more obvious there were so many red flags okay there was an angel here back, the whole time <laughs> when you go back and listen to this podcast after alex reveals his true form you'll be like I mean, Alex does seem to have a lot of just information about all the angel types. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he says he does research. I say he just knows. One time I tried to look up the angel stuff online and it wasn't there. And then the next day after our podcast, I looked it up and it was there. Just saying. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's just what an angel would say. Well, Alex, we can still be friends. I'm pretty pro-angel. <laughs> okay, very cool. So Cassie's on my side now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but I was created to kill you, so. Oh. Talk about destiny. <laughs> and my initials are AA. <laughs> You're all amazing. <laughs> okay, so yeah, yes, this meeting, this SEAL meeting, and SEAL talks very highly to him, like, talking him up, like, you know, we believe that angels are the real inheritors of the earth and we want to give the earth to their kind. And so we want to send you in there to, uh, I guess, subvert the plans of NURB and put your plan into effect. And like, obviously they're lying to him, like sugarcoating, building things up because that's not SEAL's plan. Uh, these old men do not want to hand over the reins of power to anyone. Like they were unsure about handing it over to Gendo and they've been trying to get it back from him cautiously, slowly ever since. So there's no way they're gonna take their personal rave that they've raised and be like, hey, uh, 
you're what's going to inherit the earth. What do you think about that? And I, I don't know if he believes it. He seems to smile a lot. Like a lot of those knowing, dickish, winking smiles. So I don't think he believes it either. Their goals are aligned, at least for now. He wants to get into central uh, or terminal dogma and they're sending him in. And I guess in the, uh, this is all about making anime reading. This is like the TV channel or something, like hiring some person and being like, oh, we found this great new writer. And then he like comes and like sucks up to Ano, but he's like trying to destroy it all. Oh, I don't know. We can cut that out. <laughs> uh, Misato has one more meeting with Glasses Tech remotely. Uh, and then Misato goes and I guess finds where Ritsuko is and infiltrates that uh, compound. I don't know, wherever she is and talks to her. But it does not really go well. It doesn't really go anywhere. Like Ritsuko's down for the count. Like she's done with her life. <sighs> I just feel so bad. Okay, so... Then Kawaru activates unit zero two. It's really cool because when when he activates the Ava, the all four eyes open wide and light blares out of it, which seems to imply like full potential activation. Like we've seen when the, the Avas go berserk, their facial features shift to be more organic, more human-like. And so like this wide-eyed visage is really powerful to me. And then he just takes Unit 02 down into Central Dogma. We get a little voiceover of Seal saying that they only really want Unit 01. And so they're willing to have all of this, like basically their two enemies, the Angels and uh, Nerve fight each other. Really dick, smart thing to do. Uh, and there's this one line, uh, 01, or Shinji uh, activates in 01 and comes down after Kawaru, uh, who's uh, utilizing 02. And as they go down, someone mentions the Kokietis? Kokietis? I don't know what that is. C-O-C-Y-T-U-S. And it is the river of wailing in Greek mythology. Or a weird Greek reference. Uh, but they, it, it fits with the other stuff because as we go down into terminal dogma, the terms that they use harken back to Greek and uh, Jewish mythology. And so that may be, you know, like going to the roots of modern mythology. A lot of modern stuff is based off Greek and a lot of modern stuff is based off Judaism. And so as we descend down into the bowels of nerve, you know, we're going to find the origins and we're going to find, to describe those origins, we're going to use old terminology. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And it's really cool, actually. I didn't realize all of those mythological undertones. One of the other things that I thought was kind of interesting in this part when Kuaru like kind of has synced up with this angel is they talk about him like merging with Unit 2, which they talk about him being able to do probably soon if he really wanted to because the soul inside Unit 2 is closing off. And so I just like thought this was kind of a weird, interesting thing. Like that to me is what made it click like, oh, there's like human souls like in these Ava. And I didn't even put it together that like, oh, it's like the souls of these kids' parents. That's why each kid Mm -hmm. has like one Ava that they can sync the best with, right? Because they have a pre-existing connection to that particular soul. So what is that about? Like this soul is closing off. Is that because Asuka is like no longer there like sinking or able to sink with it? Is it just like this metaphor of this soul like moving on? Like like 
what is this? Are the souls like choosing to be there? Do they have say over that? Is it just if they don't get synced with enough, like they go away? What is up? Man, I'm not sure, but the way you asked the question seems to make a lot of sense. So they, uh, I don't think the individual souls have any say over like if they could get in or out of the Ava. Uh, I think that they're stuck there. But as they, as the pilots utilize the Avas, sync with the Avas over and over again, it does bring them closer to like, after Shinji has been inside the Ava for 16 hours at one point, after Shinji has piloted the Ava umpteen many times to go after the angels, that's when he, uh, what do you call it? That's when he over-synchronizes with the Ava. Like it it realizes its full potential and then the two of them merge into one being and he has to extricate himself later. And so, like you said, if um, uh, Asuka has not been syncing with O2, then the soul would probably slowly be kind of closing itself off and it wouldn't be uh, realizing its full potential. That's a great question. Not as sinister, but I kind of see it almost as a vampiric relationship where, mm-hmm. like, the Ava gets energy and stuff from the pilot. And then if your pilot's not there and you're not taking that energy, then you start to wither. I mean, it's a soul, so it can't technically die. I think it just becomes like one of those olden vampires that hasn't sucked blood in a long time and just kind of withers and is in this, like, very weakened almost hibernetic state until it gets its fix again. And I'd like to point out that this is the second episode I've been on and the second time I've been able to shoehorn vampires into it. (laughs) (laughs) Two for two. That's pretty good. (laughs) That is interesting though. Like I do kind of wonder if the Avas are also like angel, like in terms of their physicality, right? And then they have a human soul inside of them. If angels are in fact these creatures that not only crave, but kind of like need these connections with other beings, maybe there is something about that like sinking process that is providing this like connection. And it's like this connection between beings. And that's like the fuel that the Avas are like getting maybe that's like their blood equivalent for going with the vampire metaphor mm. oh, that makes sense because when a pilot is uh has like a high synchronization ratio within the ava that's the only times that an ava has been t- able to overcome its own power limitation uh when they detach from the umbilical plugs they have like five minutes left before they are 500 seconds left before they depower but in the cases of like Shinji being incapacitated inside of it which would make him easier to sync up you'd think like oh a conscious mind would have more barriers to it than an unconscious mind that's when the Avas have been able to overcome that power limitation so good vampire analogies <laughs> so, so we're at um Unit 01 and 02 kind of fighting in that central shaft. So Kawaru is just kind of like levitating next to it. Um, We learned that he himself has an AT field. I think Shinji's surprised by that, or maybe it's the techs that are surprised by that. But Kawaru explains that, you know, it's this kind of defensive barrier that all of us have like in our minds. Yes, as Ben pointed out when we were watching it, very Freudian. You know, we're capable of self-deception and like a lot of these things that then cause us problems. We're originally like, 
defenses that we created for ourselves to help us kind of cope with reality, but then, you know, they end up maybe hurting us later on in life Mm -hmm. by kind of distorting the way we we see the world and and goes along with a lot of this connection and and troubles connecting with people. Mm -hmm. So Kawaru, he says uh, blatantly that humans have AT fields, right? But he says that it's an internal thing for humans or lilins as he calls them. Uh, And so our AT fields are what separates us, what keeps our hearts from merging. Like you mentioned earlier, maybe angels don't have this individualized existence, like they're more like a network of consciousness or or mind. And so what makes humanity really unique is our abilities to be separate people. But that same ability, that same strength causes us most of our pain and discomfort in the world because we cannot, you know, like the porcupine uh, or I'm sorry, the hedgehog dilemma and the ships passing in the night imagery we've had, like we cannot get completely close. We cannot get into each other's heads. And so I guess that's like the tragedy of humanity. Yeah. Is that the tragedy of humanity? Yeah. Yeah, Tanya, it is the tragedy of humanity. Okay. Do well, you have another tragedy of yeah. humanity? For, humanity. For a mere five hundred dollars, <laughs> you can learn. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can take my class titled "The Tragedy of Humanity 101," <laughs> and you can hope that it will level up your rank within the cults. Oh my God, you've gamified cults! <laughs> wow. Oh, they've you're... they've done it. Psychology, yeah. man. All about leveling up. (laughs) So after we learn all this stuff about the AT fields, Misato is talking with the glasses tech. I guess they think if he makes it down to what I guess they still believe is Adam, Mm -hmm. they think that that will trigger the third impact. I guess, you know, they're still team nerve, believe in their original mission, which is to stop that from happening, right? So they're like, I guess we got to blow it all up. And, uh, you know, Glasses Tech is like, as long as I'm here with you. They get ready to do that. But then this kind of like even more powerful AT, this displacement field or something, shuts shuts them out. Um, So now it's just Shinji and Kawaru and the the two Avas. Oh, that's funny. It like he uses the utilizes the AT field to stop all the surveillance, giving them privacy in this bizarre moment. Like they're fighting to kill each other, right? Or at least Unit O two and Unit O one are fighting. And yet, Kawara was like, "And we are going to do this alone. We don't need any prying eyes." Which again, like even in this life or death situation, brings up that kind of sexuality, right? Yeah. But see, I think that's part of it too, where like ultimately Kuaru does not kill Shinji and he definitely could. And yet he's like, oh, like, I don't know. I think you're like cute and like you seem like a cool dude. So like, I feel like you should live. So like you can kill me if you want. And that's what like makes me feel like he's not being manipulative earlier on, you know? Yeah, but he thinks he's in one situation and he doesn't do that change until he finds out that he's actually in a different situation. Yeah, until he finds out that Lilith is actually chained up in the basement, not Adam. Right. Do you know what's going on there? I don't really, like, he's like, oh, this is the human plant, Lilith's plant or whatever. 
like, what if it had been Adam there? What was he going to do? And like, how does it, like, he just wants to connect with Adam, right? Or something like he's. Just yeah, I think to merge with him. Holy pilgrimage or something. They state that Kwaru has Adam's soul inside of him. So different physical body, but the original soul of this angel or seed of life. Uh, so if he was able to find the physical body, presumably they could merge again. And that, that would be Adam again. That would be the seed of life, the God uh, come back. Like some form of that is what happened with the contact experiment that was second impact. So I guess that's his plan just to like end the world, leave the earth for the angels to inhabit. Maybe that's his idea. Um, And now that he sees that it's Lilith, he sees that the plan won't work. It's not the same thing. Like he thought it was one seed of life, but it's the other. And so the, the soul inside of him is not compatible with this physical being in front of him. Uh, which is funny because Ray comes down uh, utilizing her AT field now and Ray is compatible with this physical thing that's in front of them. Nothing happens with that. I guess she just comes down to observe. I do love that the the fate of humanity comes down to a knife fight between these two Avas. <laughs> there's so much technology. There's so much big, huge things happening, but it's just a knife fight. I also like that you don't, see Ray go through like the same things as you. she just like shows up mm-hmm. and it's just really funny to me that there's like all this tech and all these people and all these doors and whatever and then she just like shows up like it's like no big deal mm-hmm. but like as far as him being like oh I liked you and I decided that humanity I again because I am a cynical person I still saw it kind of as manipulative in the fact that once his plan changed and he was like, oh, uh, I am deciding to die instead. It was almost suicide by cop where he was like, okay, you have to kill me then. Mm. And like making Shinji make that choice was kind of a dick move. (laughs) Maybe it was an ultimate gambit and it failed. Maybe that was like, I think you deserve to live and you should kill me. And if Shinji decides not to kill him, well, then that's it. He's in the cult, like bonded to Kawaru from that moment on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that that's that's his motivation. I just think that it's, I don't know. I just thought it was a dick move. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, you're going to make this emotionally fragile person who has opened up to you like no one else and has only known you for like 24 hours, but still, um, you're going to make them kill you. Okay. Yeah. While their yeah. mom watches. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even in a moment of battle either, because there is that epically long still that we get. Oh my God, it's so long. This happened the last time where I was like, did my thing freeze? Like, are we oh, we're just on this shot for a very long time. And it's a very pretty shot, but it is on there for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the fact that like, um, he doesn't have him kill him in a moment of battle or heat or whatever, he like forces him to like, look him in the eye and crush him for a long period of time. That's rude. That is just... pretty rude. I do agree. That's pretty <laughs> fucked up. But I wonder if like from his perspective, he says earlier in the episode, like, oh, like, if you have a human heart, like the human condition is to be in pain all the time. Like, okay, so maybe mm-hmm. in his mind, he's like, oh, I don't know, you're like already suffering all the time. But you seem to like really care about living. And if you like want to live that badly, like you should live because like, I don't care about it that much, you know, so maybe it to Kawaru, like, 
this isn't a particularly cruel thing that he's doing because he can't even really conceptualize or understand that really what he's doing is like incredibly traumatic, right? He has like no sense of like trauma. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, you're already in pain. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's Here. like, I don't know, how much Let's pain can some one more. person be in, you yeah, know? You'll be fine. I've, I've done nothing but say nice things to you and uh, now just like kill me, whatever. Like, yeah. It's fine. I love you, now kill me. Yeah, well, he doesn't even say he loves him. You know what I mean? It's not even like that. Like, he's just like- Yeah, he like likes him, but we don't even know if he like likes him. Right? We did not pass him a note in study hall with an option for like or like-like to see what he had. We didn't get there because he was only around for 24 hours. So true. That's true. And he doesn't uh, blush in embarrassment, only Shinji. So we know Shinji like likes him, but we don't know if it's reciprocated. Mm -hmm. I think in that super long shot, there seems to be like the like near the center of the screen there's this kind of like faint circle that then kind of like moved a little bit and i think that he might be doing some weird subliminal thing there too what would he be doing i don't know i mean like some batshit stuff that he's always doing or it might be like you know like a very low opacity like one of the characters or like ray's shadow or something so it kind of, it starts off, it looks like a circle, like a almost like reddish little circle thing. Did you, you didn't see it when I, I was like pointing really, to it. You were pointing screen. to it and I was like, I don't know. I, I saw like something quite... move in the middle, but I yeah. thought that it was more like a cinema film splicing circle. You know, when um, mm. films get spliced together, there's very often like a little circle, especially in like mm. the olden days of cinema. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. Hmm. I don't see. Oh, wait. Something's paying tricks on me. Right above its, like, forearm. There's it's kind just of like this, a like, circle. Okay, there's a circle. There is but, a circle. Oh, my gosh. But it, like, changes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I think we might be grasping at straws <laughs> no. a little bit here. Yeah, no. <laughs> This is like one of those, this is one of those times where I'm in English class and like somebody's like, what's the symbolism of this page? And I'm like, it's not, it's a bird. It doesn't represent freedom. It doesn't represent whatever. It's just a bird there for atmospheric. It's just like morning time, you know? So like birds like are out singing like in the morning. Yeah, it's not deep. (laughs) Meanwhile, Ben has like super zoomed up on her (laughs) (laughs) It's looking at her really close. I just assume, like, during the little break where we weren't talking, Ben's, like, staring at this, going, enhance, enhance. 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 <laughs> <laughs> to bring us back to the 90s. Youngs. Okay, so Unit 1 does pop Kawaru's head off, which lands in the LCL fluid. We time jump to Gendo and Ray overseeing the cleaning of Unit 01. And Ray stands beside him the way that Ritsuko used to. You know, we think about this being the same Ray or this being, or each Ray in the line being the same. But it, that may not be true because this one is acting quite differently than previous Rays. So maybe something intrinsic has changed to her character. But they are overseeing the cleaning of Unit 01. And we see that there's just a bunch of blood. I mean, I guess a whole human's worth of blood on unit 01's right hand, and it won't come off easily. Very Shakespearean, yet again. Uh, Shinji visits the Lake of Ruin again, and this time uh, Masato is there, and she kind of tries to comfort him, like 
tell him it's okay. It's not his fault, maybe. She says that he was a better person than I am, which I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if that's true. He hasn't had to interact with humanity like other people. He's lived in a room. Also, he's not a person. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's define person. <laughs> like he has his own will and wants and physical body. What else does he need? Yeah, he's, he's an angel. He's not a person. Well, he's not a human, but he may be a person in a way that the previous angels have not. The previous angels does not have the same sense of maybe individuality that he has. Well, I just don't think that it's fair for Shinji to compare himself. He just didn't have tongues. Did you say they don't have tongues? Yeah, you know, like it's like animals. Like you don't know just because they can't talk. Yeah, like the other, I think what Ben is trying to say is that like the, the other angels like might have the same thought processes, right? Yeah. That Kawaru has, but they haven't communicated it or been able to communicate it to humans in the show because they're not in the same form. They're not speaking the same language. They don't physically have a tongue. To they talk. physically don't have a tongue is what Ben means. Um, Thank you. <laughs> that explains it. I'm glad my translator is here. <laughs> even like when that angel is trying to merge with ray i don't know to me it's kind of a similar sense of oh like these angels are the conscious beings where it's like oh like merge with me like let's hang out let's like be the same you know so i think they say something like you know this is like the final one predicted by the dead sea scrolls i guess we'll see in the remainder of the show if this is actually the final angel but it's kind of interesting we've had this process of them trying to like kind of like you know they kidnap shinji into the void and it's like they've done these different things of trying to figure out what's going out with on with humans and in some ways maybe now they've gotten to the point where they can like essentially be a human and like communicate with humans, finally have a conversation. And then the angel's like, yeah, you guys are all right. Don't need to like destroy you guys. Go on living. Glad we had this chat and then no more angels, we're out. <laughs> I love it. Well, it would, it would signify that the angels have never been the real bad guy, right? Or the real antagonist in the show. Uh, which we've seen over and over again, angels don't attack first. Yeah, so the angels are not our enemy. Gendo and Seal are our enemies. Fascists and capital. Are, are angels immigrants in that metaphor? <laughs> yes, wait. Like other countries or something? We're not so different. We just can't speak the same language. I like that. Also, we have powers that you can't comprehend with your human mind <laughs> yeah. that's fine yeah. which is why i maintain my original statement of it's not fair for shinji to compare himself and be like oh he was a better person than i he had superpowers it's not it's not the same also you knew him for 24 hours tanya very anti kawaru yeah uh, cassie pro angel so i'm glad we have our two stances on this podcast yeah our anti-immigrant and our pro-immigrant no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, Tanya only dislikes one angel. She does not have, I don't know if she has strong. They don't have strong opinions about the other ones. Sure. France. Uh, (laughs) God damn it. Freedom fries. Misato tries to comfort Shinji at the lake. And then that's the end of the episode. And we get the next time on says that the promised day arrives. So I guess 
whatever we've been waiting for, it's about to happen. And we get, I know this was a source of controversy during the original airs, is that we get these storyboarded fight scenes. I'm pretty sure, spoiler alert, those storyboarded fight scenes do not appear in the last two episodes. So there was a great deal of confusion among the fan community and maybe them feeling like they were shortchanged because they didn't get to see these fights that were planned out. But I'm willing to bet that when when we watch the next two, I'll be much more on the side of Anno and the team. Part of it is, I think this is also maybe it's like the budgetary constraints and that's like part of why we have the ending remade as this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting, I guess, when we get to the movie, if those fight scenes are in the movie or not. That could just be him giving the fans what they want. Maybe he didn't know if a movie would be possible. And so he gave the fans what he could, which was the storyboards. He was like, hey, we had planned this. I hope you enjoy, but it's not going to come out. Anyways, killer episode. Very dark. Nothing will be happy again. Also, this is the time to plug the suicide hotline. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because there's a lot of suicide in this episode. I totally agree. Uh, You can at any point in time, if you are having thoughts about suicidality, text HOME to 741-741. Trained crisis counselors are available 24-7. So, and it's a text line, which is kind of nice. There's also a number of suicide hotlines that you can call if you prefer to talk to someone on the phone and and okay. having having your friend kill you still counts as suicide so don't go that way either yeah yeah don't count as suicide and you've now just traumatized your friend yeah don't do yeah. it not cool i feel like that's like proto-cult behavior <laughs> we're not plugging that kind of cult here though just like you know the no cult is a suicide free cult until it becomes a suicide cult. <laughs> no one plans for it to be a suicide cult. I mean, some <laughs> people like plan for it to be a suicide cult. Like Haley's Comet, that, that group, yeah. they knew what they, they were doing. They teleported to the comet. <laughs> right, Jonestown, right, right. They, they knew what they were doing. Oh my gosh, yeah, they killed a U.S. senator, I think. Or maybe it was a representative. But... They killed some government official and... Then they were like, well, guess we better get to killing ourselves. Uh, We'll join us next time where we will cover cults and only cults because that's what this is now. Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Cassie. Is there anything you want to plug? Any statements you want to make to the world? No, I just want to say, like, (laughs) thanks for having me, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I'm not starting a cult. So when I go start my competing cult, you know, that's pro Kuaru then I'll be ready like for a plug. But I have to prep my marketing materials first. Well, it's, it's good to say that it's not a cult. Cult 101. Yeah. Right. See, I'm clearly not ready to plug it yet. <laughs> but what you're saying is that you're going to create the, the pro Kawaru cult and mm-hmm. presumably Tanya will have an anti Kawaru cult. Mm-hmm. And then the two of you will dialectically merge into one synthesis cult. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Nailed yeah. it. Yeah, that's the long-term plan. Immigrants, good and bad. <laughs> God damn it. How did I end up with the anti-immigrant cult? I don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's not going in the charter. Damn allegories <laughs> twisting your words. And Tanya, uh, thanks for being on. Uh, your new podcast network that's coming out is Witches Brew. Mm-hmm. Do you know where people are going to be able to find that? That's one thing that we're talking about right now. Um, 
well, I'll, I'll give you more information as I get it. We should have a, a website um, and stuff set up by the end of the month. So we're just working on stuff. Uh, but I guess the one thing that I want to plug is don't be a dick. <laughs> like, don't be a manipulative asshole to people. Unless you're starting a um, And also, if you would like to join my artist collective. <laughs> uh, please let me know. You can send any artist collective uh, in, uh, inquiries you want to penpenpals at gmail.com or penpenpalspod at gmail.com. Is there, we have a Twitter that we don't use, right, Ben? Yes, it is okay. penpenpalspod at Twitter. You can also email us penpenpalspod at gmail.com or leave us a review. 10 out of 10 stars would guest again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Okay, so we're gonna, it's gonna be weird because we want uh, Cassie and Tanya to do pals at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we determine Tanya and I's synchronization rates. It's true. It's true. Pen. Pen. Pals. Pals. <laughs> 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 well, that was fun screaming into the void. <laughs>